everybody. I'm Eric Smith, Editor-in-Chief at QB List. I have two guests with me tonight on the podcast. I'll be joined by Drew DeLuca to dive deep into the Philadelphia Eagles. And then we're going to have that kind of uh, turn into a conversation on sophomore wide receivers. Uh, we got an interesting one here in Devontae Smith. And I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Heath. And he did some research into sophomore wide receivers and if you should be targeting them in your fantasy football draft. So uh, we got a fun podcast. Uh, we got a lot of information in this one. We're going to see if we can keep this uh, close to an hour, but you know how we go on these. So um, we're going to get right into it. We are drafting our Scott Fishbowl teams right now. Um, so we're all enjoying this, except for Ryan. Ryan, you're doing a live draft. You have not even started yet. Is it killing you watching everyone post their teams on Twitter? You know, it should be killing me, but it I've gotten used to watching everybody else drafting the Scott Fishbowl over the last couple of years when I haven't been in it. So I think at this point, I'm just it just reminds me every time I see somebody post their draft board, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that this weekend. So it's just getting me pumped up, if anything. Fair. Live drafts are the best drafts. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I am jealous of you. Um, Drew DeLuca. Drew, you joined us. Uh, you uh, did our behind the scenes draft coverage this year, knocked it out of the park. You're back for another podcast. How have you been and how's your Scott Fishbowl draft going? Uh, great. I've been wonderful. Everything's great. The Scott Fishbowl draft has been interesting. Uh, my division actually holds the record so far for most quarterbacks drafted in a row. So my plan going in was to draft two quarterbacks right off the bat. I immediately pivoted away from that. So that's I think that one the one application you get from from this draft that applies to every other is that you don't be afraid to pivot. You know when the board gives you something, and that's kind of what I've done. And uh, I'm pretty happy with how I uh, how things are unfolding so far. Yep, and I'm uh, into the back half of my draft now, so uh, really liking my team. Definitely had some difficult decisions. It's pretty incredible. Scott Fishbowl every year, just it feels like every pick is just uh, you're torn between a couple options. So it's been a whole bunch of fun. Um, I've been posting on Twitter, so check it out if you're interested in my picks. But um, let's get right into this. We've got a lot of great staff that are you know experts on their favorite teams, um, and I want to make sure that we have some of them on this offseason to give us a behind-the-scenes scoop of the teams that they know better than we do. So I thought the Eagles were an interesting team to start with. They've got questions kind of up and down the fantasy roster. I think they all have a pretty good amount of upside. They all maybe have a questionable floor. So uh, we're starting out with Drew here. We want to get into the Eagles, and we're going to start at the quarterback position. Um, Just maybe before we get into quarterback, though, what's your overall outlook on this Eagles team? Just uh, kind of big picture. Where are they at in the franchise? Um, I'm actually really bullish on on the team as a whole. Uh, the offensive line was was rated by uh, PFF as the number one offensive line in in the NFL right now. Uh, Jason Kelsey's back for another run. Uh, Jordan Melata is great at the left tackle position. Lane Johnson's back at the right tackle spot. They're just good up and down the line, and they've got a succession a succession plan in place for some of those older vets. So they really, um, the offensive line has kind of been a staple of this organization for a long time. Uh, and I, that bodes well for the rest of the offense. So um, I'm, I love the A.J. Brown trade uh, being in Vegas. I was, I was actually sitting right next to Jim Wyatt, who's uh, the writer for the tech for the Titans. Um, not talking to him about 90 minutes before the trade. So uh, we were talking about A.J. Brown and he kind of to his credit. I think he knew something was up was a lockbox. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm bullish on the offense. I'm, they made some great defensive additions. Um, I, I think the team is as good as. They, they were last year at every position, uh, and uh, if not better. And I think uh, uh, there's no reason why this team can't uh, contend for the NFC East title and uh, even win a game or two in the playoffs. So um, yeah. we'll have to see. The, fan- the fantasy part is the part that uh, concerns me a little bit, but we'll get into that as we go. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the offensive line. We do need to remember that throughout these discussions. It, it does kind of raise the floor and ceiling for all these players that we know that the offensive line is going to take care of business as long as they stay healthy. Uh, so that's a big part of this. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So uh, let's just start right up top at quarterback. Um, Jalen Hurts is a really fun one to talk about. Um, I actually I did a, uh, a live video stream last night uh, with uh, Jeff Burkus from Second City Gridiron. And we went through my quarterback rankings. I talked a lot about Jalen Hurts. I've got him in the end of my top tier just because of his rushing upside. He's currently under underdog ADP of 62, and he is the QB6 overall. So the drafters tend to agree with me. He's right at the end of that first tier of quarterback. So, uh, Drew, I'll start out with you. Um, I, I think most Jalen Hurts detractors would say that he's just not a good passer. Um, and whether or not that's true, is that enough for us to worry about his fantasy purposes perspective, or is he just such a good rusher that we don't care about his passing ability? Well, I think there's a that's a good question, and uh, he definitely has room to grow as a passer for sure. Um, he he missed a lot of marks. Um, one thing I think we touched on earlier, chatting before uh, we we went on together here, was that uh, when I was at the Eagles games last year, I went to all but two of them. Uh, one of the common themes you saw was Hertz throwing the ball deep, had a guy. But the ball was just kind of underthrown, and uh, the the guys he was throwing to, you're looking at Quez Watkins and Devonta Smith and Jalen Rieger. Uh, none of those guys are more than what 170, 175 pounds. They're not winning any point uh, uh, contested catches there. So that's where AJ Brown comes in as a difference maker. So even if Hertz does not evolve much as a passer. Uh, in that regard, he's going to get saved by AJ Brown on quite a few of those uh, situations. So objectively, he's going to be better, even if he's not in that way, just because of the supporting cast around him is now better. Um, but can he take a step? I think he can. Uh, how big is the step and how many of them is the question? Because he definitely has some room to grow as a passer for sure. But from a fantasy perspective, uh, I don't think we really care as much. I think you're, I think you're kind of, that was part of the question you framed it perfectly. Um, he ran for a ton, over 800 yards, I believe, last year. Ten touchdowns. Uh, I don't. I don't. I, I, I expect some kind of regression from a touchdown perspective this year. I can't see another situation where Jay, where uh, Jalen Hurts has ten touchdowns and Miles Sanders has zero. I don't see that okay. happening again. Uh, but I, I do think he's going to have six to eight rushing touchdowns at a minimum. I do think he's going to have at least 600 yards rushing, um, and those things alone are going to carry him into the realm of a top 10 quarterback, a fantasy quarterback, probably top five, or if not, then knocking right on the door. So I think that uh, QB six is a very fair ranking for him. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen him as high as QB four or five, and I can get on board with that. Um, it's especially if he is able to maintain his uh, rushing efficiencies from last year. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, averaged a little over nine rushing attempts per game last year. I believe it was his first seven games of the season, uh, 20 or more fantasy points. He was just crushing it at the beginning of the year. Uh, I, I, you nailed everything. I mean, his touchdown rate was high last year. That's going to come down some, his rushing touchdown rate. But, I mean, when we see these players like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson um, outside of last year, like they do score a healthy amount of touchdowns on the ground. So I, I don't think we can – uh, you know, regress that all the way. So I'm on board with you. Yeah, the passing would be nice. It's going to affect some of these receivers, but he can kind of, I think, stay where he's at and the, the rushing is going to carry him. So um, again, I, I think the distractor, the detractors for Hertz, uh, they would tend to say that, you know, he could just flame out and they're looking for a new quarterback next year. Uh, do you think it's more likely that he's like the top quarterback or do you think it's more likely that we see a really bad year here for Hertz. Like what, how, how do you view his ceiling and his floor here? Uh, can he be the QB one? I think if he takes a drastic Josh Allen type step, yes, I think he can be. 
Uh, is that likely? I don't think that's a, that's in the most likely range of outcomes. Um, I don't know that he's going to flame out and be a, and be a, a total dud. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what I don't know. This is going to be very interesting because they're going to have a reckoning at the end of the season because it's quite possible that he does just enough yeah. to to say, well, maybe one more year. And that's that's what I think a lot of Eagles fans are afraid of. You know, <laughs> do do uh, you know they want they want is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Uh, and uh, I'm not, I'm not even sure if this year is going to give us the answer. But I, I, the way I look at it is if you don't have the answer, then the answer is no. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but I, I I I think from a fantasy perspective. Uh, the reason why we're here, I don't think there's any reason to worry about him in 2022 um, unless something catastrophically bad happens. So there, there were some bad reports. There was a bad report about him. I should say bad reports. Let's just say singular that came out uh, several days ago uh, that was later lampooned, I think, by A.J. Brown on Twitter. If you look that up and, and it's, it's pretty golden. Uh, so there were some uh, some whispers in the organization that he has a ways to go still as a passer and that. Uh, for all the great uh, workout videos and things that are posted, that um, that uh, the organization wasn't really was really wasn't pleased with where he is, and uh, I think Barrett Brooks, former offensive lineman, was one of the two sources that was named in that article. Um, but uh, uh, Lane Johnson and uh, AJ Brown doing their best jobs as teammates to kind of you know, <laughs> dispel those things. So it does. I, I will say this: when you have negative camp buzz, uh, that's the camp buzz that I care about. Um, everybody's in the best shape of their lives right now. Everybody's, you know, uh, looks great on, you know, in shorts and, you know, and everything else. And they're, you know, making these amazing one-handed catches and doing all these things. Uh, but the, when you hear negative buzz, that's where, that's where I get a little pause. So, uh, that was, that was one report. Um, so if there's more to come, then, uh, then I'm going to start getting a little bit more concerned. Uh, but for now, um, I think we we continue to proceed with caution and we kind of like, just see what happens with, uh, when week one hits. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and I think the backup is still Gardner Minshew, right? So yes. competent quarterback, but it's still hard to imagine he takes starts from Jalen Hurts, even if it gets pretty bad. So I think, right. yeah, agree. Fantasy perspective, we're hoping for 17 starts out of him. So, okay. I, I think we're pretty um, in consensus here about Hurts. Um, so let's throw it around to a quick round of, uh, are you drafting Jalen Hurts in the early sixth round? That's where his ADP is right now. So typical one QB league. Uh, Drew, are you drafting Jalen Hurts in that range? Uh, I typically, in regular one quarterback leagues, I typically try to wait as long as possible to take a quarterback. Um, it would all depend on what the board's holding at the different positions and things like that. So uh, I have I have Hurts a little bit higher than 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 consensus. I'm not the highest guy on him, but I have him in that QB four, five, six range. Yep. Uh, so I could see myself taking a shot on him there, but I would say probably not. Uh, I would probably go for value at other positions. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Where you stand on drafting Jalen Hurts in the sixth round? Yeah, I'll answer kind of just based on like underdog tournaments, because that's mostly what I'm doing at the moment. I'm taking him a ton. He's going to be among my highest known quarterbacks. Um, I really I have like one big question that I wanted to pose to Drew sort of on this, because we we have all sort of created this narrative uh, amongst all of us nerds on Twitter that the Eagles are going to be much more pass heavy this year. Uh, Because if you remember last year for the first like six weeks, they were genuinely a pass first team. And then the play calling completely shifted and they became one of the most run heavy teams in the last 10 years of the national football league. So I was curious, Drew, if you have any insight on 
is this whole the Eagles are going to be pass heavy this year thing real or are we just saying it to feel better about all our underdog stacks with them? <laughs> well, I will say this. Let me rewind a little bit before you mentioned underdog. I have taken Hurts uh, quite a few times there as well. I, I do draft quarterbacks earlier in best ball than I do in a traditional uh, regular league draft for sure. So in that situation, yeah, I'll, I'll take him in, in a best ball for sure earlier. Um, back to your other question. Uh, this is where it gets interesting because you, you've referenced the first six games. The Eagles went two and four in those first six games, and uh, it wasn't working. Uh, fans were near revolting. I mean, the, the, I'm not sure if any of you watched the Thursday night game against uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers where uh, the sarcastic applause came when they finally gave Miles Sanders the ball with a few minutes re- remaining in the first half, and he galloped down through, you know, down the left side for like a first, you know, 15, 16 yard gain, whatever it was. So the whole stand- stadium stood up, you know, gave the sarcastic applause cheer, and apparently they made a comment about it on the broadcast. Uh, but uh, the fans had had enough, and if even even if if uh, the, you know the, the the idiots like us in, in the two hundred section can see it, then then I think I think they finally uh, kind of got the message there. But uh, when they did make that shift to go run heavy, that's when they started to win. They, I think, what, seven and three from that point on, they made the playoffs. Um, and uh, they got, it kind of looked like they, that became their identity. Um, now, the, the question, getting back to what you asked, did they get A.J. Brown? Are they doing these things to, because they want to be who they tried to be at the start of last season? That's the question. Uh, and... I don't know if that, again, it all comes back down to Hertz. Is Hertz the passer that's going to be able to get them to do those kinds of things? So I think they did kind of show their hand a little bit in those first six games of what they want to be. Uh, and I think they realized they've had to pivot this for, okay, that's great, but this is who we are. We run the football. So um, and Miles Sanders, though, uh, if he stays healthy, uh, should be utilized a lot more than he was. So um, the problem we have to do here is guard against, and I, I, Sigmund Bloom of uh, football guys is uh, no always talks about this amongst the, uh, the uh, assuming uh, uh, rational coaching uh, and that's, it's a pitfall. And uh, so, and that this, this is a great kind of question that gets right to the heart of that. What are they going to do? And I, from a, from a projection standpoint, I'm kind of keeping it kind of the same as what the end result was last year, because I think they want to pass, but I think they're going to find that they're going to end running a lot and hurts with the ball in his hands on the ground. It can do magical things. So I think that's going to be a part of their offense too. So, um, I don't know that they're going to be able to generate the kind of passing volume to feed everyone to our satisfaction as fantasy owners. I don't know that AJ Brown is going to get uh, as many targets or the kind of quality targets that we want him to get. Uh, so I, I, I think they're worth drafting. I, I'm a little nervous about AJ Brown at ADP and we'll probably get there in a, in a minute. Um, but I think, I think they can, I just don't know that they will. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, this is a team that wants to win. So it's not like yeah. they're rebuilding here. So if running yeah. the ball gets it done, I, I, I think I agree. They will stick with that to some extent. So mm-hmm. uh, Ryan, you dodged the question though. Do you want Jalen Hurts in the sixth round? Yeah, I do. Despite everything that Drew just said to give me a little bit of pause on my yeah. bulls case for the entire Eagles passing game. Mm-hmm. I think Jalen Hurts is fine either way. I, I think even if this team is run heavy, Jalen Hurts himself is still an extremely safe QB one type of pick. Yes. Uh, I, I said all the way back a few months ago on this podcast that Jalen Hurts was going to be my QB two in redraft for this year. And I think I'm still sticking by that. I j- just based on what he did last year and adding in any, any sort of 
skill-based progression and the weapons, it all, it all just comes together and makes way too much sense for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, and the offensive line is the thing too. That's, that's, that's where, uh, that's where you have that comfort to know that even, even if things stay the same, even if things don't really progress like we want to, he's still going to be fantasy gold because of how good that offensive line is. And I agree. Uh, I will take Jalen Hurts in the early sixth round. I just I think you get a really sizable discount on the rest mm-hmm. of the quarterbacks ahead of them. Uh, they're going to go, um, you know, Allen goes a little earlier, but the rest are going to go kind of third, fourth round range. And I would much mm-hmm. rather wait a couple of rounds on Hurts. So I'm going to draft him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to people are going to overdraft him and I'm not going to reach up for him, but um, I'll definitely take him when he's on the board. So, OK, draft Jalen Hurts. Pretty much consensus here. Let's get on to running backs. Um, this is an interesting group. And uh, let's start with Miles Sanders. He's obviously uh, the most, uh, you know, fantasy relevant um, in the past. Um, hopefully has a nice workload this year. I did want to mention that uh, last year after playing 60 plus percent of the snaps through the first six weeks, he missed the most of ne- the next four weeks uh, with an ankle sprain. Um, he missed the last two games with a broken hand. He's missed some time with hamstring and knee injuries in 2020, his rookie year. So um, he has been dinged up quite a bit. It's always a fine line between is someone injury prone or is that even a real thing? So uh, that, that's kind of my first question here for you, Drew, is like if things go according to plan here, do you think we can count on Sanders to be the workhorse here? Or is Miles Sanders always going to be kind of like a, a kind of complimentary back? Um, well, I don't see him being a workhorse in the sense of what we want him to be for fantasy purposes, but I do think he can be the legit number one RB one in, in that offense. Um, I, we, you know, he missed some time, like you mentioned, you laid it out there pretty well, but last year, I going back a couple of years when, uh, Carson Wentz kind of put the team, a, a terrible team on his back with Greg Ward being the best receiving option on the franchise. Uh, that's, that wasn't a tight end anyway. he, put that team on the back, but Miles Sanders really was kind of like the engine there. He was, he was one of the better receivers on the field. Uh, he was playing down the stretch last several games on a bum ankle, like the one he missed with before. So he was playing with a sprained ankle and was still productive. Uh, and he was still giving uh, returns or generating returns for fantasy uh, owners uh, and managers there uh, at in, in the end game. So I, I think he can be uh, very productive. Again, it's, it's that uh, the offensive line is there. It's it's the rational coaching. It's okay. Well, this is what we assume this round hole is going to fit in this, you know, this round peg that fit in this round hole. But that's not how they used Miles Sanders necessarily last year. They used a lot more Gainwell in certain situations in the goal line, which was I think puzzling to a lot of us because that's kind of a role that we would expect Sanders to hold. And then uh, and there were times where Gainwell wasn't even getting targets uh, in the passing game. That changed a little later on in the season, but. Uh, well, that was kind of what he was known for coming, you know, out of Memphis, that he was a good receiver on the backfield. So um, can can he be a, a legit number one fantasy? I think he's pretty much a good value where he's going right now. Uh, I think I think he has the upside. He has the ability. He's already shown that he's flashed it before. Uh, he's in a contract year, too, which is something to keep in mind. So um, maybe we maybe we make too much of that. Maybe we don't. Uh, but it certainly doesn't hurt the situation. Uh, so I can see him having a, a good year and. I think it's kind of built into his price right now, uh, everything that happened last year. So I'm more than willing to take him uh, about where he's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not expecting him to finish as an RB1 or, or you know or anything like that, but he certainly has that within his range of outcomes. 
Yeah, and I forgot to mention um, underdog ADP of 78, RB 26 overall. So, yeah, like you said, that's a nice range there. Mm -hmm. And before last year, I mean, we saw 14 PPR points a game from him, uh, 13.7 points a game. Like he's put up pretty much the same production as like uh, Antonio Gibson has recently. Um, You know, even Zeke in the last couple of years, he's in the same ballpark. So Mm -hmm. um, it probably is a nice discount. We did see his targets drop last year. Um, He just had a little under three targets a game. It was a little over four the year before. So uh, that would be nice to see rebound. But like Mm -hmm. you said, I mean, he had zero rushing touchdowns last year. Mm -hmm. Like when you, when you get a drop in targets and zero rushing touchdowns, that's a nightmare year. So uh, what do you see from kind of inside the Eagles here? What would it take for Sanders to make like the leap here? I mean, I don't know that he has that ceiling we thought he did when he came into the league, mm-hmm. but if we saw a significant jump from Miles Sanders this year, what does that look like from him? Well, I think he going into last year, he was always pretty efficient on a per touch basis uh, among the more efficient backs in the league. So I think if he stays healthy, he's number one. Uh, and he's able to maintain that kind of a, that whole persona that he's got. He's just, he touches the ball. He's dangerous with the ball in space. Um, and uh, he's, he, he hits a whole heart. He really, I, with with, uh, with Sanders, the interesting thing uh, with him going back to when he first came in the league, uh, we looked him in the first few, few games like, Oh, he can't hit the whole heart. He just kind of, he just, he looks tentative. And then Deuce Staley was the running backs coach at the time, did a lot of work with him and really just kind of helped him transform as a player. And he was a, a totally different player the second half of his rookie season all the way through into the following year. So I think that tutelage really kind of helped him develop as a player. So I think he stays true to his roots, the, what, he, what he's learned early in his career uh, and stays healthy. Uh, I think that's what it's going to look like. He's going to he's going to I think he can get, you know, 12 upwards of 15 carries. Uh, I think he can get three to five, uh, at least four or five targets a game. Uh, I do worry about the upper end of that target, though, with Gainwell around, because I think that's kind of one of the benefits of what he brings to the table. I don't see Boston Scott continuing to be a major part of the offense like he was at times last year. Uh, But the only concern I have, again, with 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 Sanders uh, is that is that Sirianni has shown that he wants to kind of rotate backs a bit. And I think Indianapolis did the same thing. It's where he came from. Uh, they did the same thing where before Marlon Mack, you know, shredded his 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 ankle or his Achilles, I guess. Uh, you know, he had a role. You know, everyone there were three. There's always been kind of like three guys in Indianapolis that have always had a role. Nike Hines, kind of being what Kenny Gainwell is or should be, hopefully. Um, but I think if you look at what they did in Indianapolis to try to fit into Philadelphia, you have. Uh, Miles Sanders kind of filling that Jonathan Taylor role. You have Kenny Gainwell finish, fill, uh, filling in for that Naheem Hines role. And then, you know, Boston Scott or whoever kind of filling in for, uh, you know, the, the leftover scraps, if you will, the rotational back kind of pieces. So I think in a perfect world, in a, behind a great offensive line, if this offense is clicking, uh, I think Sanders could finish as an RB1 and is definitely a value where he's going. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is upside. I mean, we've talked about the line and just the potential of this offense. So I do agree with you. Those touchdowns have to get better. So um, before we take a stance here on Miles Sanders, uh, Ryan, do you have any thoughts? I I feel like Miles Sanders, you've been interested in for a couple of years here, Mm -hmm. anything uh, you want to add in or anything you want to ask of Drew? Yeah, Eric, I always have so many thoughts on Miles Sanders, as you know, Uh, really just sitting, listening to this conversation right now, all that's been going through my head is the amount of similarities and parallels between Miles Sanders and Antonio Gibson. Like Miles Sanders was really Antonio Gibson before Mm -hmm. Antonio Gibson, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. right, right down to 
who I was overweight on in best ball that was killing my portfolios. <laughs> uh, but really think about it. They, they are currently going basically next to each other in yep. average draft position. Uh, they are both these like kind of exciting punchy plus athlete guys that the fantasy managers have always wanted to be used more than their coaching staff seem comfortable with. Uh, we we've been talking these guys up as, Oh, they can take the next step as pass catchers for years now. Um, but it hasn't really happened. I don't think that that crazy breakout is in the cards anymore for either of them. But if the decision point in the seventh round is between Miles Sanders or Antonio Gibson, I'm taking the player that I think can be buoyed by his offense as far as touchdown variants going his way. And this year, I think that's actually Miles Sanders, despite him not scoring at all last year. If with the Eagles and the Commanders are two franchises headed in opposite directions right now. I, if I have the bet on one of those two just swing, swinging into the touchdown variance, it's it's Miles Sanders. So mm-hmm. that's the stance that I would take. Yeah, and you can't bet against him as an athlete. I mean, he's he has this the the the, the profile as a uh, to do uh, amazing things there. And I think one person that came to mind when we were talking about this touchdown regression. Uh, Mike Williams last year um, had a, a ton of touchdowns. The year before, he you know it was it was it was it was a bit, it was awful. There was no there was nothing there. So if if Miles Sanders can kind of replicate that as in the at the running back position, uh, you know, being able to take being the guy who's benefiting from uh, a more efficient offense that's going to you know generate more first downs with a guy like Antonio Brown there, uh, then yeah, he's gonna there gonna be more red zone opportunities. Period and. He, he can't have zero t- touchdowns again. It's just, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. still kind of finalizing my running back rankings. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. starting to question having Gibson ahead uh, of Miles Sanders because we'll get to it later, but I, mm-hmm. I think Miles Sanders actually has less competition for touches at the running back position than Gibson does. So mm-hmm. a little bit more on the, the further down the depth chart in a minute. But um, let's put you on the spot here, Drew. Uh, Miles Sanders generally going in the seventh round of drafts. Are you j- taking Miles Sanders in that area? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I think uh, if if right now his I don't think his ADP uh, reflects his his upside. I think it reflects kind of the the really sad nasty taste that we had in our mouth last year. Uh, and the, and and that's one of the things is that recency bias uh, can be something that hurts you or helps you in fantasy football. And um, so one of the things you have to look at is that you know some especially in 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 your your home leagues you've got guys that are. I'm not going to draft him because he he was terrible for me last year. Well, that was last year. What's what does it look what's looked like this year? So I think you're doing the right thing, Ryan. I think I think read uh, looking at the the big picture, uh, and it's not what a player did last year that's going that's going to win you a championship. It's are you going to hit on them this year, and do you have the ability to take them? You know where they're going to return value. So can he can he return seventh round value? Absolutely, and I wouldn't be afraid to take him there. Yep. And that's always the hardest part is uh, weighing past production versus uh, future projections. So um, Sanders is kind of a test case for that one. But we have like like I said earlier, we have seen 14 points per game. I mean, that's RB2 range. So Mm -hmm. um, he just needs to get back to that. So what do you think, Ryan? Are you taking him in the seventh round? Yeah, I know I just made the Bulls case for him as opposed (laughs) to Gibson, but I'm really not. This is just not a spot in the draft that I'm generally targeting running backs. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it the running back dead zone because the wide receivers available in the seventh round aren't nearly as good as those in the sixth round. But Mm -hmm. I'm still more likely to look elsewhere than at running back. You can wait another round and draft Clyde Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's an equally gross pick, but 
if again, if we're talking about just RB ones on their own team that could be hit by positive touchdown variants, I, I think CEH is probably an even better bet than Sanders for that to happen. So that it's just not really the archetype of running back that I'm targeting most of the time, but he he's who I would take there if I were taking someone there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I'm probably more likely to pound receiver there too. Um, I, I would take him in the seventh if I had already done that. And if I was already pretty satisfied with the receivers that I had and, you know, I, I just kind of needed a, a warm body to say, okay, okay, now I have a running back. Then I wouldn't be afraid to take uh, Sanders there depending on uh, what the board has. But yeah, I agree with all everything you said there too about CEH as well and, and their relative values. Yeah. And I, I think I'll generally say I'm passing on Sanders in the seventh. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I agree it's roster construction based though. Like I think mm-hmm. if I went a bit of a zero running back build, then Sanders makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. there. Um, so I, I think in that case, yes, but I don't know if I'm really using him as my RB three or whatever, if I can take someone maybe three rounds later that I think has some upside. So he's kind of in that in-between range. I agree. He's not quite the typical running back dead zone. He's a little later than that. So I would say go mm-hmm. for it. If you're interested in Sanders, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, it just depends on your team build. So that's, I guess we're kind of mixed on Sanders, not so in as we are on Hertz here. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to add is, it, even within the seventh round, I'm pretty sure Tony Pollard is going right around there too. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that I'm taking over Sanders every time. And that might sound a little strange. Like Pollard is not the top running back on his depth chart, but when we're really building out these projections and thinking about how these teams are going to use these players, I wouldn't be all that surprised if Tony Pollard is seeing just as many opportunities every week as Miles Sanders is. And obviously there's a much bigger bulls case crazy upside scenario for tony pollard if there were an ezekiel elliott injury he's an instant top 10 running back so same same thing with aj dillon aj dillon another one right yeah same thing yep okay sounds good so let's get into his primary competition at running back we've got a second year player kenneth gainwell he's got an adp of 157 rb 49 so pretty big spread between them uh he was a fifth round rookie last year Generally played about 30 to 40% of the snaps at running back. Um, He only topped out at 53%. Um, If you look at his season long totals, like only three targets a game, but he did have like eight, eight and seven target games. So had some really big flashes through the air. Didn't do much on the ground. Um, So we'll start, Drew. What do you expect from Gainwell? Let's say Sanders is healthy, plays all year. They're sharing this backfield. What are you expecting here from Kenneth Gainwell? Well, that's the good, that's a good question. I don't think any of us really knows what to expect. We, yeah. It's and, and that's the thing. And you hit the nail on the head with the with the, the inconsistency in the target volume. And one week he's getting eight, and we talked before earlier he was getting next to none and some others. Uh, and in order, if, if you're getting a, if you're taking a guy though in the thirteenth, fourteenth round, you're waiting. You're putting him on your bench and you're waiting to see uh, what happens with him. And I th- can he be productive? Yes, absolutely. We just talked. We've already talked ad nauseum about the offensive line and the the setup for this offense. So if something does happen to Sanders, and you've, we've already made the case that that's or that's happened before, he can absolutely step in and be productive. And uh, in in a PPR format, uh, he can do that as well. So uh, I would do has if you're he's looking at Gainwell as a zero running back guy. Oh, I'm going to take him and start him every week. You're going to be disappointed because of the fact that. The, until further notice, the Eagles have been rotating backs, and you don't know if this is going to be a week that he hits or not. You know, it could be a zero week, it could be a you know a fourteen or fifteen point week. You don't really know. So, um, but yeah, he's definitely I like him and uh, where he's going uh, that late. Um, 
But uh, yeah, what we the one thing that you can expect from Gainwell, I think, is inconsistency. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we, yeah. we like him as a player. He's flashed the passing game role, but he did not have it all of last year. So I'm right on board with you. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, we like Miles Sanders in the passing game too. So mm-hmm. you could see how they maybe have a little bit of trouble picking which yeah. one to feature. So, um, okay. So that's kind of what we expect when Sanders is healthy. What do you think about if Sanders were to go down? Because I think sometimes people draft these players uh, kind of hoping for the starter to get hurt, but right. they don't really get that bell cow work. I would assume Gainwell is not going to get full-blown work here somebody's got to split with them right sure i mean i mean they have boston scott right now um they picked up kennedy brooks as a udfa and gave him guaranteed money the out of oklahoma uh so he that kind of turns some heads in some uh, fantasy circles some analysts are kind of keeping an eye on him to see what happens uh like jason huntley i think is still there he doesn't really do much for me um he's kind of kicked around as a practice squad kind of a player uh but i mean gainwell is clearly uh the guy that's going to benefit from uh, anything that happening to miles sanders so that just means good things for him uh, and he's certain if that happens he's a guy you're gonna you're gonna be able to start every week either as an, as an rb2 or a flex okay ryan any thoughts on gainwell here i like gainwell a lot uh he he's the exact type of zero rb target that i will draft especially in best ball where you don't have to guess where those spike weeks come in yeah mm-hmm. i think he's the perfect type of player for that uh, on, on like a per route and a per target basis, he was pretty good last year. Obviously, the usage didn't come very consistently. But if he is getting playing time more consistently, then I think he can be like a pretty good producer for you late in drafts, especially like at, just as an option to fill in your RB2 slot uh, on like a best ball roster where that's going to be shuffled in and out a lot. So he he's somebody that I'm into. And it, yeah. Okay. So sounds like you are drafting him 13th, 14th round in uh, best ball drafts, particularly Drew, are you drafting Kenny Gainwell here? 13th or 14th round? What's your take on him overall? I'm in lockstep with Ryan here on this cosign completely, especially the best ball aspect of it. So um, the, the, the only um, disappointing thing for me is that in best ball, when I'm ready to go draft Kenny Gainwell, he's already gone. So, so, uh, but right now I think in, in underdog, you have a lot of people who are, really sharp and know exactly what they're doing. When you get closer to August, then I think you're going to find him uh, easier to get, I think. And that makes sense. Uh, but I think uh, I like a lot of people who are, who are really hitting underdog hard right now are, are kind of on thinking the same thing that we are here about, about Gainwell and about his ability to produce spike weeks, which is exactly what you want at a, at a player in that range. Okay. I think I'm going to generally pass on him only because of some of the players in his area. Uh, Tyrion Davis price is right next to him in uh, ADP. I just kind of like the upside there a little more. I'm, I'm just a little hesitant just to see Gainwell really breaking out. If, if Miles Sanders didn't break it out, even if he goes down, I just don't see Gainwell doing it, but I could be wrong there, but I'd kind of rather take Davis price. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Gus Edwards before. I know he's not an exciting pick, but I think he could have some uh, nice touchdown weeks. So I think that's the main reason. Uh, maybe Khalil Herbert, too. There's, I, mm. I think there are just some other more upside picks that I would go with here, but I do understand the appeal in a best ball, maybe getting some of those eight target games and, and you profit from it. So mm-hmm. it sounds like we, um, we've we got two of you who are going to take them, and I'm going to pass on them here in the 13th, 14th round. Okay, so the rest of this backfield – I think this is worth mentioning because this has really been a committee in years past. Um, it seems like they bring in some of their old favorites, the Eagles do, and just kind of give everyone a chance in the backfield. And um, like you kind of mentioned before, it's really now just Boston Scott and not much else. So it does feel like we're missing 
one of these veteran running backs for the Eagles that they typically would have. So, Drew, do you see any way they add one of these kind of cheap veterans or, you know, they always seem to bring in one of these Jordan Howard types or something. Is anyone like that coming Jay in? Jay Ajayi. <laughs> yeah, 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 Jay Ajayi. Man, that's yeah, a throwback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's bounced around too. So, yeah. yeah, is there anyone other than Boston Scott that's going to come in here and provide – because Boston Scott's not exactly a workhorse either. So is it really just Sanders and Gainwell and Scott? Yeah, I mean, you have to. I don't, there's really no one a consequence I can see right now coming in, but then we'll have to see what happens with roster cutdowns, things like that. Yeah. I don't know if there's anybody that's kind of sitting there that's that uh, the Eagles can, you know, are, are kind of looking to, to tra- track down. And I, I don't know that's going to matter. I think uh, you have a guy like Hertz who's going to be, you know, running 600, 700, 800 yards. You know, anybody that come in, comes in is going to be in, 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 in a timeshare at best. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to be worth even having on your fantasy radar unless you're in a super, super deep, super deep league. Um, I think it's I think it's a Sanders and Gainwell show uh, and, and then and Hurts really. Uh, <laughs> but in, and that's that's that. So uh, the only the only person I would watch would be Kennedy Brooks. We already know what Jason Huntley is, um, but Kennedy Brooks is a guy that if if he hits in the preseason and he and uh, he looks great uh, in camp uh, in camp and he makes noise in the preseason and he makes the roster. Uh, he's a guy that if something happens, I could see him working him his way into a timeshare. Okay. So. Yeah, he could be on the end of a dynasty roster. Maybe you sure. uh, free up a spot with an IR yeah. or something and pick mm-hmm. him up. So, okay. Sounds good. I'm going to assume that Ryan doesn't have any takes on Boston Scott. So let's move on to the yeah. wide receivers yeah. here. Um, so, yeah, we've kind of been putting it off all show, but uh, it's time to talk about A.J. Brown. Uh, he is uh, ADP of 26 overall, wide receiver 11. Uh, just let's get right down to it, Drew. Uh, can he be a wide receiver one with – Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard competing with targets. It, it's a different situation than he's had in, in Tennessee previously. Yeah, uh, I think he can still get sufficient volume to be uh, a worthwhile starter. I don't know that he's going to return a third-round value. I think I think there's just – I hate the saying too many miles, but it apply, it only really matters when you have an offense that uh, – that runs the ball a lot. And when you have a guy like Hertz, who's also going to be calling his own number from time to time or, you know, running when things break down, uh, then you don't have, I don't, I don't think pass volume in general is going to be high enough to, to uh, for Brown to be what we want him to be, at least not in 2022. However, if Hertz steps, takes that stuff forward as a passer uh, and, and he is more accurate, more efficient, more, and uh, does much better job, uh, you know, finding receivers downfield, then, then the efficiency uh, goes up. I can see him return the value. I just don't know that that's the most likely outcome. So I'm, I'm looking at other people I'd rather be drafting in round three uh, than AJ Brown, who I do love. Uh, and I love him in dynasty because uh, if, even if, if Hertz does not take a step forward, they're going to bring in somebody, you know, who will get him the football. Uh, and that's, that's just kind of be, that's just kind of the way of it. So I have no concerns about AJ Brown in dynasty. I do have some concerns about him in redraft in round three. Yeah, well said. Um, I agree with you on the dynasty point. He's still only, I believe, 25. The Eagles are not just going to rebuild. So uh, they, they may draft a rookie quarterback, but I think it would be a pretty high one if they did that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm on board with him in dynasty for sure. Um, before I get to my thoughts, Ryan, have you been drafting him in best ball drafts at all? Third round uh, on underdog? I have, but it's kind of an uncomfortable position to be in. Uh, I really am not a fan of that whole tier of wide receivers in general, sort of after the top five, but before we get into like the DJ Moores and the Jalen Waddles, 
so I am taking him around the two, three turn. I prefer like T Higgins there. Uh, but just really when you're on the clock and you're looking at that draft list, when I'm looking at all the names and I can say with confidence that AJ Brown is the best player talent wise that is available there. I'm going to draft him at least some of the time. Like, it, and obviously it goes back into, well, we tell ourselves a story about the Eagles becoming more pass heavy and make ourselves feel better. Uh, but I, I think it's a story you should tell yourself sometimes because while it's not like a 55th percentile outcome that his 95th percentile outcome is being the wide receiver one. And there's not a whole lot of players are in that range that you can say that about. So I, yeah, I'll probably be about where the market is on him. Uh, not, not like a strong stance. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's hard to overlook just looking at the game log from last year. Uh, you know, 16 targets, 145 yards and a touchdown one week, uh, 10 for 155 and a touchdown. Made an awesome touchdown catch against the Bengals in the playoff game. Like he's, we know he's a good player. He does battle some injuries. That's a little bit of a concern. Um, but obviously the target share, he's just, he's never had this competition. So I think I'm kind of on board with you here, Ryan, in the sense that I would tend to not draft him here. Um, but I know he's good and like the running backs in this range, I'm kind of not drafting once we get to this point. I've usually got my one, maybe two, but probably my my bell cow. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm there with you. If he's the highest on my board, I'm taking him because I know he's talented. I know this is going to be a, a pretty good offense and there's just not running backs I'm taking. So uh, we were kind of talking before the show, Drew, like if you go running back receiver and AJ Brown's your wide receiver too, like that, that feels pretty good. You know, yes. I know he's wide receiver 11 overall. Mm -hmm. um, so you think of him as wide receiver one, but if for your team, he's a wide receiver two, then I think you really feel good about your roster there. Yeah. You mentioned T Higgins before. I'd rather, I'm with you on that one, Ryan. I'd rather actually have T Higgins as my wide receiver two and Scott Fishbowl. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, and I would, I would love to have Smith in that role too, or excuse me, uh, Brown in that role too. AJ Brown, in that role as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just I I don't know that he's going to be the guy that there's so many talented players that go in that in round into there in round three, but yeah I do agree he has that kind of upside for sure. Yep. All right. Anything on Brown before we get on to the next one, Ryan? I don't think so. I I think really he's just the embodiment of why it's okay to sometimes draft players above their median projection, especially when we are talking about like these underdog best ball tournaments. Like it's, it's the same, like it's the same thing with Gabriel Davis that everybody gets really upset about on Twitter. Like, yeah, his median projection is not that of a fourth round wide receiver, but <laughs> his ceiling ma makes it worth taking that shot at least occasionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Brown yeah. is kind of end of a tier here. I mean, you look behind yeah. him in the underdog rankings. You got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You know, I mean, we like drafting them, I think, for the most part. But then mm -hmm. Michael Pittman, DJ Moore, Marquise Brown, Sutton. It's kind of the end of the tier. So if you missed out on everyone, I've got no problem taking Brown. Uh, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I was going to say the, the target. We talked earlier about the targets and sharing the targets, too. One thing that he didn't have to worry about in Tennessee, uh, not only did he not have a Devontae Smith on the other side, he also didn't have a Dallas Goddard. Um, he didn't ha uh, He didn't have... Uh, a, a tandem like Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell in the backfield because Derrick Henry is not scaring anybody uh, with his hands, if that makes sense. So <laughs> he's not much of a receiver out of the backfield. So uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a higher pass volume offense in Tennessee, but not by leaps and bounds. So that's that's the uh, those are the dimensions to keep in mind when we're talking about the target share. 
uh, of what he's going to be walking into in that situation. And also the fact that uh, Smith's already worked with uh, Hertz already for an entire season, whereas, uh, you know, AJ Brown's got to get on board, learn the offense and, you know, and develop that kind of chemistry that he already, that Smith already has with him. Okay. So maybe to average our takes here, wide, uh, ADP 26 overall, a little rich early third round. Uh, we'd much rather probably late third. Uh, that, that's probably more of the range we're looking at for Brown if yeah. we could get them. So, okay. All right. Draft him in dynasty though. <laughs> I think we're yeah, all yeah. on board there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next up, um, we may go a little quick on this one because we're going to talk about sophomore wide receivers later, but now we got Devontae Smith, um, ADP of 69 overall, wide receiver 34. Um, Drew, how do you think he fits into this offense now that A.J. Brown's here compared to how they used him last year? I think the question is how is Brown going to fit into this offense with a, with Devontae Smith there because he had a pretty good rookie season. So he had over 900 yards. He set a, the franchise record for most receiving yards in the season by a rookie. For We're talking about a, a franchise that's been around since 1933. Uh, so, I mean, that it, it was it was a remarkable season. Uh, and it was it kind of feels it was like it was quiet. Like that it was that with, you know, I don't think people realize just how good Devontae Smith is. And now he has A.J. Brown on the other side. And the think about the difference in, in the, the quality of the corner he's going to be seeing this year. Uh, so I, I think that it's more much more likely that Devontae Smith, uh, you know, outkicks his ADP than it is for A.J. Brown to, to outkick his. I think it's much more likely. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, like we said, A.J. Brown's battled some injuries. If something happens there, that's obviously going to benefit uh, Devontae Smith. So, yeah, I'm on board. If you look at his game log, it, it was a little underwhelming, maybe not as many breakouts as we would like. But, uh, Ryan, I have a feeling you're going to talk about later just um, maybe being competent as a rookie wide receiver probably goes a long way. So just the fact that he played 17 games and produced overall on the season, uh, that's probably a pretty good sign here for Devontae Smith. Absolutely. And even from a efficiency perspective, like Smith had a season that would not, you can't compare it to like the great rookie seasons, like Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or whatever. But I think those types of seasons we've seen in the last couple of years have really just colored our perspective on basically every other rookie. Like Smith had a strong rookie season and I love how Drew just framed it. That The question is how is AJ Brown going to fit into this offense with Devontae Smith going into his second year. Uh, yeah, I'll get into it more, but I'm pretty bullish on him. And he's not even a prospect that I liked uh, 14 months ago, but the you have to adjust on these guys. You can't, once you see them play in the NFL and they're smashing, like you, ha- you have to eat the L and say, yeah, I, I was wrong a year ago, but I'm not going to be wrong again. Yeah, I, I was a little scared off by the weight thing. I'm sure that was a big part of it for uh, for you, Ryan. So definitely, yeah, he held up through a season. So that's very encouraging. So we're going to talk a little bit more about him later. Uh, check out that sophomore wide receivers section. Um, but let's just get to the, are we drafting him? Um, around the sixth round is where he goes. Some of the receivers in his area, um, Elijah Moore, Adam Thielen, Russell Gage, DeAndre Hopkins, Drake London. Like that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, are you drafting D- uh, Devontae Smith in uh, your drafts in the sixth round, Drew? Um, over most of those guys. Yes. Uh, I, Hopkins is one that I, I kind of want, especially if it's a best ball situation where there's a, I, I think I'd probably rather have Hopkins just because, uh, if I'm fortunate enough to get there, get to the playoffs, he's going to be there. He's going to be playing. And he, then you're, you're getting, you basically got a discount, uh, on De- DeAndre Hopkins if you're a playoff team. And now you're going to be able to have, you know, 100% prime DeAndre Hopkins. 
uh, going. I, I think I might be tempted to go that direction. Uh, but other than that, I, I think I'd rather have Devontae Smith and, than most of those people you just mentioned. Yeah, I feel like I have not done the um, <laughs> I, I need to focus on DeAndre Hopkins and, and figure out what I think of him. I've just been mm-hmm. passing on him to this point. Now yeah. we, he, he's fallen far enough. We probably yeah. need to have a discussion on him one of these mm-hmm. days. So, um, Ryan, I, it sounds like you're drafting Devontae Smith in the sixth round. Yeah, I'm drafting him over every receiver that you listed, except for one that we are going to talk about later. So, yeah, okay. t- give me all the Devontae Smith in the sixth round. Yep, and I would agree with that. Um, it is I do like the group that he's around, but, uh, yeah, I think he's got some hidden upside there. So, um, before we get out of this receiving core, do you, Drew, have any thoughts on the group of Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, Zach Pascal, anyone else in this wide receiver group there? None of them are going before wide receiver 104 on underdog, so probably not worth spending a lot of time on them, but you got a favorite or a least favorite? Well, I, I have thoughts on Rieger, but this is a family show, so I'm going to keep them to myself. So, yeah. <laughs> so the Eagles fans have uh, been quite disappointed uh, what they got there, and I he's done zero to change uh, my disappointment from, from draft day when I really, really wanted Justin Jefferson, and instead we ended up with Jalen Rieger. But uh, we're moving on. Uh, Quez Watkins uh, has been the superior player starting with training camp last year. So uh, there was a lot of buzz uh, about Quez. Uh, then I, I was able to go to one of the open training camps uh, last year, uh, and uh, you could see it. You could see the – and he had a connection with Hertz. He was making plays downfield. Uh, he's, he has better hands than people realize. So Quez Watkins is a guy to watch. Uh, he's not a guy that I'm drafting, but he's a guy that's going to be very high on my waiver wire list uh, if I have a deep bench and I have the ability to, to take him, then then I might. Uh, but uh, something, something happens, God forbid, to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins uh, is a guy that can certainly, uh, I think, kind of be uh, give you production out of nowhere. Uh, I like him as a DFS value matchup play, I think, more than anything right now. Um, but as far as the other guys, Zach Pascal, I mean, all he does is basically – kind of vulture targets from yeah. <laughs> fantasy options that we care about, but not enough to actually be one of those options that we care about. So uh, there's really nothing really that's inspiring here except for Quez Watkins in an if-then situation. Yeah, that's the only reason I put Pascal in there is because mm-hmm. we know he's going to see the field more than we would like him to. So uh, it's worth yeah. bringing him up. Anything there, Ryan, or just move along? Yeah, I like Quez Watkins as well. I, I mean, I – think that if the thesis of the Eagles being pass heavy does play out this year, then he is the one that benefits. Um, and if it doesn't, then he is probably nothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, on, on Zach Pascal, uh, he was for back when I used to not just play GPPs and DFS back when I played cash games, Zach Pascal at the minimum <laughs> in cash games, like starting in week eight or whatever, when there were no options. Oh my God. He, that was legendary. But yeah, ho- I hopefully I'm not in that spot again this season. If I if I find myself putting Zach Pascal in a DFS lineup on a Sunday morning, I'm gonna, gonna question some of my other life choices. Yeah, just go, go take a walk. That. Right. Yeah, <laughs> come talk to us, Ryan. All right, well let's get on to tight end. Um, this one seems pretty quick too, unless I'm missing something. Dallas Goddard, ADP 96, tight end eight overall on underdog. Drew, it seems like Dallas Goddard's kind of been what he is over the past four years. He's been consistent, never broken out, just a solid tight end you can start. Any reason that's going to change this year, or would you just kind of plug in his numbers from the past? Uh, I think it's fair to plug them in uh, for the most part. Um, I I, I don't know that he's going to be as primary of an option, 
Um, I think he kind of had a chance last year where he was kind of sharing the role with, uh, with uh, Zach Ertz and then Zach Ertz got traded mid season. Um, so I think we kind of got a glimpse uh, already of what Goddard does. I, I would, I would imagine that line is going to shake out kind of the same because now you have uh, Brown coming in. Uh, uh, I don't know that Goddard, Goddard has the, he's a, he's a tremendous, tremendous uh, talent. Uh, he could finish. He has the ability to finish as a top, you know, five, six, seven tight end. I don't know that he will. Um, I'd rather kind of wait. I'd rather take uh, Hawkinson in that range, honestly. I'd rather take uh, Cole Komet. i wait a little bit and take Cole Komet. Um, I think he's gone a little bit higher than where he could or should, uh, but I'm certainly not fading him or avoiding him either. I just think there's probably going to be a better option that's there. But if he falls, he slides because people are worried about target volume and things like that, then I won't hesitate to, to take him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you there. I'd kind of rather wait on get a Zach Ertz or a, mm-hmm. a Friar Muth or a Cole Komet or someone like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if he falls, jump on him. Um, there's a little bit of a drop from the tight ends above him and Hawkinson. Um, Hawkinson and Goddard are kind of like the next tier. So you might be able to get some nice values on them. We'll see. Um, Ryan, any thoughts on Dallas Goddard? Not really. I'm Kyle Pitts or bust this year at tight end. <laughs> and if it, if My it's man. Da- yeah. And if it's <laughs> Dallas Goddard that I'm staring down, I'm just going to wait and take a couple way cheaper guys that will probably approximate his production. So that's how yeah. I always just approach the tight end position. Oh, yeah, I, I think I we're took- all on board here. So I think yeah. he's uh, either wait or uh, take one early. Yeah. I had Pitts. I grabbed, took Pitts second round. Scott Fishbowl. I, I, I love it. Um, uh, uh, that's a take I can get behind, but I'm, I, I think when I put something out there a, a week or so ago that the road to fifth place is paved with mid tier tight ends. So, you know, you, gotta, you don't, don't take them too soon for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Um, well that is generally our wrap up of the Eagles here. Drew, any last mm-hmm. thoughts, anything you gotta get off your chest or you think we've pretty much covered it all here? I think, we, I think we covered it all. I think if, if you're an IDP, I think you, you have some things to think about. Uh, I'm, I'm not really an IDP guy myself, but they've, they've had a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball as well this year with Bradbury there opposite um, uh, Darius Slay, uh, Nicobe Dean, uh, who is going to clean up a lot of messes that there's been no linebacking court whatsoever in Philadelphia for a very long time. So uh, you add all that into the equation, what we've been talking about all this, all this time, the defense I think is going to be improved uh, as well. Uh, on this on this team and i think that that in, uh, should help take some of the pressure off of hurts and the offense uh yeah, i think they they might be able to generate some turnovers uh you know keep the ball out of the hands of the opposing offenses which is can be only good things for the for the eagles offense yeah speaking of idp I, i've got kaiser white in the league and uh, he had a heck of a <laughs> yeah. season last year and then he signed right. like for nothing with the eagles so I'm like, yeah that was a great I- signing yeah, yeah, who knows with linebackers? I hope he's on the field for my uh, IDP purposes. Yeah, Howie Rosen went from persona non grata to uh, you know mayor of Philadelphia in one off season. So, and <laughs> some of the, what, he, what he did on both sides of the ball. So, all right, now it is time to get into sophomore wide receivers. Ryan, you've been tweeting about them. You got threads out there, all kinds of stuff going on. So, uh, you've been waiting patiently all podcast. Um, what have you found on sophomore wide receivers, specifically this year's sophomore wide receivers? Yeah, this has sort of taken over my life over the last <laughs> week or so. So I, I'm happy to finally get it all out there in like a more formal format than typing into Twitter. Uh, so the question I was really asking myself is every offseason, we generally have this feeling that young players are going to break out uh, because most breakouts happen early in players' careers. The young guys are the ones with the upside. This is what we tell ourselves every single year. 
So I wanted to see if the data and history actually substantiates this feeling. Uh, and the short answer is yes. So kind of getting into my process of what I did, I took every wide receiver going back to the year 2010 that was being drafted in rounds three through eight. Uh, and then I broke all those receivers into two different groups. The first group was made up of only sophomore receivers. So ca career year number two, who had at least 0 0.7 yards per team attempt in their rookie year. So what yards per team attempt is, it's just kind of a efficiency statistic. It's literally just the players yards that they put up divided by the amount of pass attempts that the team had when they were on the field. Uh, and it's, a shockingly predictive statistic, especially early in players' careers to see how they're going to turn out. Uh, but anyway, so that was my first group, sophomores that performed well in yards per team attempt. And the second group was every other player. So that includes any player that's not a sophomore and also a few sophomores that did not reach my yards per team attempt cutoff. And again, this is only in rounds three through eight. So what I did was I wanted to see how many of the players in each group broke out. So the way I defined a breakout was outperforming their positional ADP by six spots. So if they were being drafted at wide receiver 26 and they finished as the wide receiver 19 in points per game, then that's considered a breakout. So <laughs> going into this, 42% of the players in my good sophomore group outperformed their ADP by six or more spots in points per game. That's compared to 23% of all the other players in the other group. So what I'm telling you right now is all you have to do is draft a sophomore wide receiver uh, that was decent in his rookie year and is going between rounds three and eight. And you pretty much double your chance of hitting a breakout compared to any other receiver in the draft. And then I wanted to look at even bigger breakouts. Six spots in ADP is not that big a deal. What about 12 spots? What about the guys that are being drafted at wide receiver 30 and finish as the wide receiver 15? So 26% of the good sophomores outperformed their ADP by 12 spots in points per game. And that's compared to 12% of all the other players. So again, you're just about doubling your chance of hitting on one of these big breakouts by drafting a good sophomore. Uh, so that that's really the meat of it. And that that's all that there really is to talk about in as far as the process goes. One note that I want to make is our sample size in this is actually big enough to de pretty definitively say that these two groups of players are genuinely different. There's a lot of statistical tests that go into that. Uh, but I can tell you that we can be more sure that this is a real phenomenon than most things in fantasy football. Uh, because generally in football, our sample sizes are really small. The way I was able to do this, I got a big enough sample. Uh, the groups were different enough that we can be pretty confident. So I've rambled a bunch. And what everybody really wants to know is, well, Ryan, who are the players that fit into this process this year? Who am I supposed to draft, Ryan? Shut, shut up about your statistics. So. <laughs> The players that fit this process this year are Jalen Waddell, who's going in the fourth round right now and had 0.94 yards per team attempt. 
Amon Ross St. Brown, my, our boy, fifth, fifth round is where he's going right now, 0.9 yards per team attempt. Elijah Moore going in the sixth round with 0.85 yards per team attempt in his rookie year. And Devontae Smith, who's going also going in the sixth round, 0.83 yards per team attempt. Rashad Bateman and Kadarius Toney were both just under my cutoff, but I w- they are pretty close. You can almost lump them in. It, it gets a little dicier there. Um, but that really the thesis is those first four guys I said, Waddle, Amonara St. Brown, Elijah Moore, Devontae Smith. You should feel pretty good that at least one of them is going to smash this year. And I the just to conclude before I let you guys jump all over this is as a word of caution, this isn't a silver bullet. I'm not saying that if you draft one of these guys, they are 100% going to break out. That's not how probability works. As I said, it's only like a two in five chance that any of these individual players is going to break out. Uh, and there have been players that fit this process that have not broken out that year. Uh, last year, T. Higgins was the only one to. Brandon Ayuk, C.D. Lamb, Chase Claypool, Jerry Judy. None of them did, even though the process included them as a good sophomore. So there there are going to be hits and misses in this, but you are improving your chances of hitting on a breakout just with those two fairly simple rules, I would say. So, yeah, ha- any questions that you guys have? <laughs> I hope I'm being clear. Yeah, no, it's it. That was great, man. I, I, I do just wanted to say that you spared us the math talk. So I appreciate it. I see some statistics in the notes yeah. here. You really, for as much math as we just got into, you left out the hardcore stuff. So good on you. Uh, go ahead, Drew. Yeah. No, I, I think I think one of the things we, we see here too is that uh, when you when you see a guy, you know, that's already being drafted high as as a second year player, uh, it's it's harder for him to kind of live up to that breakout status. That's, that's kind of what I'm reading between the lines there. Uh, so, you know, Lamb being there, uh, you know, who's already being drafted pretty high. Um, Bottle, same thing. Amon Ross St. Brown are both being drafted in the first five rounds. Uh, I, lo- I really like Smith there in the sixth round as a, as a strong candidate uh, to, to kind of fit right in that mold to be fall within that 42%. So uh, Waddle, kind of interesting. We talked about Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown walking the door. Waddle, the same thing's happening here with Tyreek Hill walking in the door. Uh, how, already having the rapport with the quarterback. So um, that's going to be a very interesting one for me to watch. And the Amon Ross St. Brown one, I, I, I want to know, I want to, I, I know the statistics are sound behind it, but I want to see what happens with it because uh, when he, he did most of his damage, I think towards the end of the season, where he really broke out uh, and they didn't have TJ Hawkinson for, I think four of his five huge, massive breakout games. Yeah. Uh, and I think De, uh, DeAndre Swift was also missing from a handful of those as well. Uh, and I think before Hawk went down, he was number three uh, amongst all tight ends in targets and receptions behind only Kelsey and Mark Andrews. So as long as Hawkinson stays healthy, I worry a little bit about Amon on Ross St. Brown being able to fall in that 42 percent. Um, but he just certainly does fit the mold and we can't we can't ignore what he did. So uh, you can say, well, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Yeah, but he still was throwing the football and he still made some plays. So we can't discount what he did. Um, but I do have some lingering questions about him that I don't have uh, necessarily with Smith and Waddle. Yeah. I, I think what I like about this, Ryan, is that um, we're, we're never as good seeing why these players are going to bust or break out as we think, as we think we are. Mm-hmm. And just looking at that 42% and the boost that you get over players mm-hmm. who are not sophomores, uh, it, it, 
you know, there are going to be players that get faded like Devontae Smith a bit. And like, we're just not good at predicting this. And so mm-hmm. if we just take this draft sophomore wide receivers, we're going to catch some of these guys that fall. Cause we're going to be like, well, he's a sophomore. I know he's got a good chance of breaking out. So mm-hmm. that's what I like about this. It kind of acknowledges that um, we are not as good as we think we are at this. And he fits <laughs> a profile. He had rookie year production that, you know, we always talk about that, the dreaded rookie year goose egg that just, they cannot recover from. If a rookie has rookie receiver has a bad first year, it's very rare that they recover from that. We've seen plenty of examples recently. Jalen Rager, um, and Keel Harry, and Keel Harry. There's the list goes on, and so just the fact that a player makes it into this bucket is probably a bigger sign that we we're just not taking that into account. Just just being in this bucket, even if they don't break out, is is a huge just uh, positive indicator for these players. Yeah, I, I agree completely. That That is sort of the idea here is now if I'm looking at this list of players, I, I've been an Elijah Moore stan for a long time since since he was coming out. I would have had a ton of him no matter what, because that that's my personal mm-hmm. player evaluation. That's my bias. Mm-hmm. I had like biases against Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. I would have loved to confirmation bias tell myself that, oh, well, Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown are here now. So I, I guess those two are just not going to break out. Like, I guess I don't have to worry about them if you got bailed out by that. But that that's not how it works. Like, we we can't just say, oh, th- there's this extenuating circumstance and that that's why this player 100% is not going to break out because every because every player has extenuating circumstances. I I mean, I, I can argue about Amonra St. Brown until I'm blue in the face about what he was doing and who was and wasn't on the field when he was doing it. But it, yeah, the fact just stands that it's good to have this context of who are the players that line up with what we've wanted to see historically. So mm-hmm. that's all I really have to say, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I think it also just shows like Jalen Waddle was so good last year, about 15 uh, fantasy points per game. He, like just because they added a good receiver doesn't mean that he's not going to be involved in the offense. You can say the same for Amon Ross St. Brown, just because there was no other options. Like if every receiver who had no options in the passing game broke out, like Amon Ross St. Brown, like we'd have a ton of breakouts. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think just once you show this production in the NFL, they're generally just not going to go away from you. I was big on Jalen Waddle last year, just because the draft capital was so high and he was falling in rookie drafts. So I got him in a lot of leagues. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're getting him, what, mid-round rookie drafts? Maybe even later. He, he was slipping mm-hmm. some. So um, I was happy about that. I got scared off by Tyreek. But this really makes me think that we should keep drafting him. We we don't know how it's going to work out. Um, but just that that rookie year production. I mean, 140 targets. Uh, that That is noteworthy from Jalen Waddle. So I think I'm going to maybe focus on him. I know he's the steepest price. But uh, if any other situation, we had a player like that coming off that rookie year, he'd be drafted two rounds higher. Yeah, and I I'll, I guess I'll put the hot takes down now. I think Jalen Waddell is going to out-target Tyree Kill this year. That That's something I believe. And he, the fact that he's going around and a half, getting closer to two rounds later, yeah, I w- would love to find out. I need to get more Jalen Waddell. But I'll, I'll really say that about any of these sophomores on this list. I can very easily tell myself a story where they are the number one target on their team and Devonte Smith included. I, it, it is completely possible that Devonte Smith is just so awesome that he's pace for pace with Antonio Brown and getting targeted just as much like that, that, that is a possible world that we might live in. 
And I, I think people get way too wrapped into, oh, well, we know who the wide receiver one is in this offense. And even if none of these guys are the wide receiver one in their offense, they can still break out. We've seen this historically. We saw T Higgins do it just last mm-hmm. year with Jamar Chase being drafted next to or sometimes ahead of him in fantasy drafts. We saw it with Juju Smith-Schuster in his sophomore year. He fit this process and he still broke out even with Antonio Brown in front of him. Cooper Cup did it on a mm-hmm. per game basis. He didn't he went down with injury fairly quickly that year, but Brandon Cooks had just been added to that offense and he was going multiple rounds ahead of him. That we can't just write these guys off because we think they have competition that's going to prevent them from succeeding because most of the time it doesn't. If the player's good, they're going to find a way to earn targets and to succeed. Love it. Yeah. And I, I like that you included Tony and Bateman as well as the near misses because uh, they're also ones to watch. You can, you, you talked about telling yourself a story. You can certainly tell you, tell yourself one about Rashad Bateman having a massive season. Uh, he already showed flashes down the stretch last year when he came back from what core muscle surgery, right? It was, a, it was a major injury. He missed all the training camp and, you know, he didn't have that full benefit that most rookies have walking in the door of, okay, well now I've have my he walked in mid-season and was productive uh you know down the stretch which is hard to do uh so i'm excited i'm excited to see what he can do uh as well yeah well great mm-hmm. stuff i think my takeaway from this um ryan is predicting jamar chase sophomore breakout so uh, go ahead and draft jamar <laughs> chase this year, guys. <laughs> all right well i think this was great we we covered a ton here um drew mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining we will have you on sooner um, than uh, the last time, which was NFL draft time. And I was not on with you. So it's been yeah. great talking with you, Ryan. Uh, I think maybe we can see uh, maybe an article coming out on this one of these days. seems like you've done a lot, a lot of work here. So um, everyone should check that out. Um, check out QBList.com, of course. Um, and like I mentioned up top, I was on Second City Gridiron doing my QB rankings, building my tiers. So um, it's at Second City Gridiron on Twitter if you want to see uh, – my face on YouTube, feel free to check that out. So (laughs) thanks everyone for listening. Thanks guys for joining me and good luck in your uh, Scott Fishbowl drafts, guys. Thanks for having me.